0: You are listening to Pastor Kevin Gidding of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled Hand-to-Hand Combat, recorded on December 30th, 2018. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Kevin as he preaches. All right, so let's just jump right in. There's a, there's a message that's kind of been rattling around in my head and for a little while, and so it's, it's really, I'm really thankful for this opportunity. And I think this sermon is a very good fit because uh, right before New Year kicks off, I think this is a great message for this kind of season, all right? It just kind of happened that I was given the opportunity to preach this message right before New Year's, and I think this is a great opportunity because many of you here will be remembering all of your successes And all of your failures of this past year, both personally and professionally. And like every year, you're going to try to build on those successes and not repeat the failures by making commitments to uh, yourself and to others, everyone else around you, that you will be better or do better this coming year. So what do we do in light of that? Well, we make resolutions, don't we? whether it's to lose weight, whatever it may be, some realistic and some not so much. And we start off the new year with much optimism, commitment, and effort. We say, if I can just be better and do better, then I will be happy and satisfied. But many times, we're left joyless, frustrated, because we just couldn't do or be better well we do this spiritually too very often don't we you you may say well maybe this year I will be a better this or that by doing this or that I'll feel better about myself and and so forth and but we end up the same way many times feeling joyless frustrated discouraged exhausted and hopeless Do I have a testimony? (laughs) So what do we do? We end up doing the same thing spiritually that we often do when we're trying to say, for example, lose weight or whatever it may be. We We don't just give up. We end up going the opposite direction. We say, I knew it. I couldn't be that or do that because I never have done it and I never will. In our attempt at being a, quote, better Christian, we end up feeling like a big failure with whom God could not possibly be pleased. Well, this morning I have some bad news and some good news for you. The bad news is that you're right. When it comes to spiritual resolutions, you can't do it. But here's the good news. God can. Now, that last statement... May sound obvious to some of you, but let's drill down into what the Bible says about this until we hit something bedrock that may not be as obvious as you think. So let's start off in Romans chapter 16, verses 25 through 27. It says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. See, this is the last paragraph. It's called a doxology. It's a final summary of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Christians in Rome. But before we look at this last paragraph more closely, let's go back in Romans in order to go forward so we can get the full impact of Paul's final summary in chapter 16. To summarize the first 11 chapters of this letter, yes, 11 chapters, we're gonna summarize this, uh, Paul unpacks the central theme of this entire letter. Look in Romans chapter one, verses 16 through 17. It says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, that's you and me. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul says he's not ashamed of the gospel. And what is the gospel? Namely this, that Jesus died for sinners and that by grace through faith, you can be saved. Because it not only has the power to produce saving faith, whereby God declares the sinner righteous, but also empowers the newly declared righteous to live by faith. Paul then goes on for the next 11 chapters outlining the implications of this great truth. Now with that summary in mind of the first 11 chapters, let's move forward by looking at Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. And as we look at this together, we'll see where Paul goes next. He says, I appeal to you, based on the first 11 chapters, brothers, based on the mercies of God or by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, from these two verses of chapter 12 all the way into chapter 15, Paul shifts gears a bit from who we are now because of the gospel to what we should do now in light of the gospel changing us. Paul builds on chapters 1 through 11 by saying, therefore, I appeal to you, church, on the basis of God's mercy shown to you through the gospel, shared with you over the last 11 chapters to present all of your life as worship. And how does he say to present your life as worship? Here it is. By giving your bodies over to be a living sacrifice. Now what in the world does that mean? A living sacrifice. It's interesting that Paul uses this word living to describe a kind of sacrifice. Because a sacrifice was usually a dead body. Not a living one. So he says living to make sure we we know that he doesn't mean a literal human sacrifice. You see, a sacrifice was usually laid on the altar and parts of it were eaten by the priests. And that was it. That was the end of the animal that was sacrificed. It had no more existence. But that's not what Paul means, because at least three times in Romans chapter 6, verses 13, 16, and 19, he speaks of us presenting our bodies or our members to God like this, like a living sacrifice. And in every case, It is so that our members, that's the word he uses often, our members, our arms, our legs, our tongues, our eyes, our sexual organs would become instruments of righteousness. So the sacrifice is not only living, not only are you living, you are moving about and doing things in the world. This is what a living sacrifice is. So that as you are moving and doing things in the world, you are presenting your bodies as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, putting yourself up on the altar for God. That's what it looks like to present your life as worship. So what is a living sacrifice and what does that look like? Well, simply put, Paul's appeal to them and his appeal to us is this. I appeal to you As you are living, going about the day to day, you are also dying to sin and living to God. Once again, in other words, you're placing yourself up on the altar every second of every day as an act of worship. So what does that look like on a, Every, any given day or an everyday kind of basis. Well, remember the commercial jingle? Some of you may remember this. Um, the best part of waking up. Nice, very good. You're awake, that's good. Or well, at least some of you are awake. Um, well, the best part of waking up is not Folgers in your cup. First of all, Folgers sucks as coffee, all right? Um, and, but, then, but then secondly, that's not the best part of waking up. From the time you wake up, what do you desire more than anything else that day? Think about it. From the time you open your eyelids, what is the one thing you desire more than anything else that day? If it's not to experience all that God has for you in Christ Christ, Then there's already a problem. It's at that point that you jump into the deep end of the pool, so to speak, and go all in with your desires. In other words, setting your face on one resolution for that day God, help me to experience or have the desire to experience all that you are for me in Christ, to be satisfied in you, in you alone. There's a famous preacher who called it getting your heart happy in God from the start of your day. It is a heart pursuit of finding all of your joy, all of your satisfaction, all of your happiness in God. It calls for a heart check. And this is a, a little bit of a discipline, a spiritual discipline that God has been working out in my own heart. And when you think of discipline, you think of pr- a pretty heavy word. But what I mean by that is that, that when I wake up in the morning, I'm not, and as I'm maybe reaching for Starbucks, not Folgers, um, I am setting my face towards one resolution that day God, will you help me to experience all that you are for me in Christ? Will you help me, God? Because I can't do it. Maybe, like, even this morning, I woke up a little bit insecure about preaching today. And I said, no, 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 no. God, will you help me to trust you? Will you help me to experience all that you are for me in Christ? All the joy, all the satisfaction, all that you bring because of the gospel, will you help me do that? And God, I'm going to set my face towards that today. I'm going to jump all in the deep end of the pool. I'm going to push my chips in and say, I don't want any other desire today other than that. You see, the best part of waking up is saying, God, I'm here. My life is worship to you. Whatever I want to experience, all that you are for me through the gospel. It's a heart check. If you do that, guess what will happen? If that is your spiritual resolution every single day, then you will be killing sin as a byproduct. Many times what we do is we think about the sin too hard. Our focus is on killing the sin, not joy in God. But if your pursuit is joy in God and experiencing all that he has for you in and through the gospel, guess what? You're going to kill sin. All of that's going to fall off because your eyes are focused on one person only. By grace, through faith, you have been saved, not of yourselves. You don't want anything to get in the way of experiencing all of him. But you do this by making a choice first, a heart check. It's an act of the will to say, God, even if I feel like kicking the dog today, God, will you help me not kick the dog today? Will you, will you help me because I'm irritable, I'm grumpy, I'm this, I'm that? God, will you, will you help me? And I'm going to make a choice first. And then what do you do? You find creative ways to saturate every day with the Word of God in prayer. The way I do that is through listening to sermons as I work, listening to sermons as I drive, listening to the Bible, uh, the ESV app, for example all day long eve as i'm going about living and doing i am in, i have one spiritual resolution one pursuit to experience all that you are for me in christ god would you do that for us today and what do we find as a result of this pursuit of life as worship we find a spiritual resolution that actually has the potential to really stick we find real, lasting, meaningful change, what Paul calls transformation in verse 2. Look at it with me in verse 2. There is a negative command and a positive one. Negatively, don't be conformed to this world. Positively, be transformed. Not conformed, but transformed. And notice it's both, it's not one or the other, it's both. We need both, conforming and transforming. But many times, as we focus on these two things, we focus more on the conforming part and not on the transforming part. Why do we do this? Well, I think if, because I know me, and I'm assuming if it's me, it's you, because we're all sinners in all this. Well, I think it's because of control and convenience. Because I know for me, I could look at the world when, this, when it comes to conforming or non conformity to the world, I can look at the world, make a moral inventory of what's bad and good, and then do the good without any need for God whatsoever. And that is blasphemy as a Christian. Blasphemy. I've heard it said you can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig. And then I heard one of our support staff this week said it in a Pennsylvania kind of way. And I'm not going to tell you who she was unless you ask me afterwards. She said it this way. You can put a bow on a turd, but it's still a turd. I guess that's the Pennsylvania way. Can I say turd in church? You see, our pursuit should be transformation that leads to nonconformity to the world. Transformation is the goal. If you start off with non-conformity to the world, all you're gonna do is be a nice little moral Christian. But if you go, God, I want to experience all that you are for me in Christ, and that means total transformation, not lipstick on a pig, then guess what? Non-conformity to the world will happen as a byproduct. Killing sin will happen. You will live to God. Once again, you do this by making a choice first. First thing in the morning. It doesn't even mean you've got to read the Bible for three hours. It's just an act of the will to say, God, no, I want you. I don't even feel like I want you, but I want you. <laughs> it's like what the, what the guy said in the, in the gospel. He says, I believe. Help my unbelief. That's, that's what we're talking about. Help me to experience all that you are for me in Christ. And then we find creative ways to saturate 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 every day with the word of God and prayer as you're going about doing things. So let's back up and review what Paul is saying in verses 1 through 2. First, he says that change should be a part of the Christian experience. And this change looks like nonconformity to the world in and through total transformation. And one way to symbolically describe this as a living is as a living sacrifice. Namely, once again, dying to sin, living to God. With this in mind, so why does Paul appeal to us on the basis of God's mercy found in the gospel? Based on everything we've just said, why does he appeal to us on the basis of God's mercy in the gospel? It's because of this, I believe. Because even if we know what we should do, the basis of why and how we change is often like when we make New Year resolutions. Namely, we give crazy, crazy amounts of effort to be better and do better in order to feel better about ourselves. Folks, this is not why and how we make spiritual resolutions as Christians. That's blasphemy. Why? Because this puts you and me, it puts self at the center of our change rather than God. Amen. See, you, God knows our temptation towards self-centeredness. He knows our temptation towards self-reliance and self-sufficiency. Blah! Self, self, self. And he's taking an ax to the root of these tendencies by saying, even if you know what you should do, You can't without me. It's about me. It's for me. And the power to do it is from me, not you. So let's double down on this truth by looking at one thing we skipped over in describing this living sacrifice. It says this sacrifice is to be holy and acceptable to God. Now, Paul, you, you had me when you said change is important, we all want that if we're honest with ourselves. And, and, and Paul, okay, I think I can look at the world and what the Bible says I should do and do those things that don't conform to the world. I can even make a list of those things and check them off one by one and feel really, really good about myself. But folks, change that looks like a holy and acceptable living sacrifice to God, that's impossible for you and me. I know me, I know you. And we can't live up to that kind of standard even on the best day of the year. And we see Paul saying, absolutely, on your own, in your own strength, based on your own merit, your own work, your own effort before holy God, absolutely you can't. Once again, that's why Paul started with the basis for any of this with, I appeal, I beg you, Brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God in Christ, you can't do it. So I appeal to you based on what God has done for you in Christ, because it is only in him, by him, through him, and for him that any of these things you should do in chapters 12 through 15 are even remotely possible. You see many times our spiritual re- resolutions add up to how you can be a, a nice little moral Christian. Church, we we've got a lot of nice little moral Christians walking around. What we need are God-centered, God-empowered resolutions. Not more morality, not more therapy, not more religion. Jesus says this, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You see, God doesn't want your religion. He doesn't want your morality. He does not want to produce nice, little, moral, religious Christians. Church, Jesus wants your heart. You see, church, he's a a jealous God. He's a jealous God. He, He loves you so much, he will do whatever it takes to have your heart. Even sending his son to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, this is bad news to some of you, and it's good news to others. For those of you who bank their hope in their own self sufficiency in justifying themselves before a holy God, and who also do the same thing in living out the Christian life, expecting great change to happen, this is horrible news because you can't do it, and you're frustrated. But this is great news for those who bank their one and only hope in the grace of God through faith and, all, and the all-sufficient work of Jesus on their behalf, justifying them before a holy God and who also live the Christian life based solely on this justifying, sustaining grace of God. You see, church, real, lasting, joyful, meaningful, Christ-exalting, gospel-empowering, transformational change can only happen when it flows from his hand to yours. And, folks, here's the good news. Jesus did it. He saved you. And now He does it all for you because you can't. Are you okay with that? No, I mean, are you really okay with that? Are you willing to let this gospel of grace shred to pieces every bit of pride you have left? It's like when Jesus was going to wash his disciples' feet right before the cross. And he says, he, you know, he, he's got his undergarment off, and he takes his outer garment off and has his undergarment, puts on a little sash and begins to wash the disciples' feet. And, and Peter says, oh, no, no, you're not going to wash my feet. And there's the pride. And Jesus says, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. And what does Peter do like he does often? Well then, then Lord, then wash all of me, right? Like Peter. If you're willing to lay down all of your pride and let Jesus serve you, you'll find everything your heart ever desired. You know why? Because you'll get more of him. More and more of him. You'll get all of him. Here's what I mean by Jesus serving you. Because some of you have never heard that before. And you're thinking, wait, Jesus serving me? What, is that? what does that even mean? Well, let me, let me give an example. Especially when it comes to God serving us to accomplish spiritual resolutions. Imagine this. Imagine you are paralyzed from the neck down. And many, many months, maybe years have gone by and everyone has given up hope on you. There's no one else to feed you, clean you, clothe you, anything like that. Everyone has gone on with their lives and they've said, well, there's no hope for him or no hope for her. But then you have one friend who is is the one and only person who can come in and give you the food that you need, clean you, clothe you, because you are absolutely spiritually paralyzed without him. That's what I mean by Jesus serving you. That's what I think the Bible's talking about when it's talking about shredding to pieces every bit of pride you have left. How do you do this? Well, it's, once again, waking up in the morning, cultivating throughout your day humility by reminding yourself over and over again that you are spiritually paralyzed without the Holy Spirit helping you to experience all that God is for you in Christ. Keep that image in your head of being paralyzed from the neck down because what you'll find is that you are in greater need of God than you ever imagined. So, all of this leads us back to where we started in Romans 16. This is where we're going. Let's look back at verses 25 through 27. Now to him. Okay, so as we read this, think about all that we've already talked about. And Paul's very excited here. He's preaching. <laughs> this is this is it. This is This is the final summary. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings, has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the... Obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. He starts off in verse 25, now to him. But before he can go any further, church, and say the ending, which is to the only wise God be glory, in other words, before saying now to him be glory, He is compelled once again to speak of this great God of ours and the salvation that he brings through the gospel. Because, once again, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Let's look at it more specifically. He says that God is able to strengthen us according to what? The gospel and the preaching of Jesus and him crucified. He goes on to say how this gospel was revealed and to whom and to what purpose, but to bring about the obedience of faith. In other words, he is saying to God be the glory that he is able to take the gospel of grace and strengthen us with it to the point of bringing about the obedience that flows from faith. It's grace producing faith, which in turn produces change, obedience, from his hand to yours. And then Paul says the ultimate goal in any of this is not for you to get the big warm fuzzies. Paul says the ultimate goal in any of this is the glory of God. And as God strengthens you with the gospel, guess what happens, folks? More faith is produced More love is produced, more faith is produced, more love is produced, which in turn produces more obedience, which in turn causes you to be transformed into his likeness, which in turn gives him more glory, and so on, and so on, and so on. I've heard it said like this, that God magnifies his glory by making his people strong with the gospel. You get the strength, he gets the glory every single time. This is it, people. Paul is just summarizing what he's already said, that our problem is this. Here's your problem, here's my problem. Satisfying the wrath of God. And why is this a problem? Because we can't satisfy the wrath of God. So Christ did it for us. And now we are united in him in his life, his death, and resurrection by grace through faith if you've put your trust in him. You can't save yourself. The Bible says you must be born again. You can't hope to change in any way spiritually. You may might as well just give up right now with any spiritual resolutions if you're not born again. Will you trust him today? Will you trust in Jesus Christ by faith? For the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For those who have put their trust in him for salvation, who are born again, who have experienced the new birth, who can see the glories of God in Christ, who want to also continue to be transformed into his likeness and want real change, the problem is this, that you can't do it without him. Just like you couldn't save yourself, you can't sustain yourself without him. He must do it. Oh, but church, I've got great news for you this morning. He is more than willing. Embrace this by faith this morning. That he is more than willing and he is more than able to save you and strengthen you through the gospel to bring about the obedience that comes from faith. You see, the heart of the gospel is that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the righteous one, Died for our sins and rose again, eternally triumphant over all of his enemies, so that, that there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, but everlasting joy for those who trust him. You never, never, never outgrow your need for this gospel. Christians, you don't begin the Christian life with this gospel and then leave it behind and get stronger with something else. See, God strengthens us with the gospel to the day that we die. Some of you treat the gospel like it's, so if like the Christian life were a building, you treat the gospel like it's one of the rooms in the building called the Christian life. You go to the first room, you get saved, and then you go on to bigger and better things. Well, I'm here to tell you, the gospel is the building. It's not one of many rooms. It is the building. So what you're doing, much like a diamond, you're putting that gospel up in front of you every single day, and the gospel is a diamond, you're just looking at different aspects of that diamond every single day and drawing strength from it. The gospel is the lens through which we see and do everything as Christians. It's how you love your spouse, it's how you serve your children, it's how you greet your coworker, it's what you do with your neighbor. It's everything. Practically speaking, how do you forgive somebody? You first embrace how you've been forgiven. This is the vertical. You embrace all that you are because of Christ. All that he's done for you in the gospel. And you receive that forgiveness. And when you know that you've been greatly saved and greatly forgiven, then you extend that forgiveness to others. God, would you help me to fully embrace and grasp how much I've been forgiven and then based on the mercies of God, based on your mercies in my life, will you now help me to to forgive that person who's offended me? Will you now help me to love and to serve like you have loved and served me? And then will you give me the power to do it? And he says, absolutely. Now, I'm not saying... And neither would Paul that we, that we shouldn't give effort. I think you're, you're hearing some effort on your part. Paul says this about himself when it comes to effort in 1 Corinthians 15.10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, meaning the apostles, though it was not I, but the grace of God, that is with me. Oh, well, Church, we, we give effort. We give crazy, crazy amounts of effort. But it is spirit-powered, gospel-driven, faith-fueled effort. It is grace-driven effort. It is love-driven effort. It is joy-driven effort. It is delight-driven effort. Because God, I want nothing to get in the way of experiencing all that you are for me in Christ. From his hand to your hand, we fight a battle. We, every day, we fight a battle for joy when we're depressed. We fight a battle for faith when there is none. We fight a battle for hope and love when, we, when our love has grown cold. It is a battle But our battle is not a physical one. It is a spiritual one that requires grace-driven effort. And this effort is not about being a good or better Christian. It's not about morality. It's not about feeling good or better about yourself. Therefore, it's not therapeutic. Like Paul says, it's about glory. It's about getting more and more of God, being born again to experience and to be satisfied in all that God is for you in Christ. There is the fulfillment of the right kind of spiritual resolutions. James 4 even says this, that that you receive not because you ask not. And even when you ask You don't receive because you spend it on your passions, on yourself. But there is the right kind of spiritual resolution. There is the right kind of asking. The Bible says, quote, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good. This is in the Bible. That God may make you worthy of his calling. He's already done that if you're a Christian. He's made you worthy. You are clothed with the righteousness of Christ and may fulfill every resolve for good. He will do it, folks. See, the Christian life is a resolving, planning, purposing, intending kind of life. We have minds, we have wills, we have emotions, and God expects that we'll use them and a lot of grace-driven effort to form resolutions and plans and purposes according to his will. These resolves or these resolutions are to be fulfilled. They are to be fulfilled. They can be fulfilled, but how? Like Paul, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, at Harvest Community Church, by the mercies of God, by the mercies of God, through the gospel, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice this year, laying down all of your dreams, your desires, your passions, your obedience, your New Year's resolutions before him, and to say, not my will, but your will be done in my life. From the very beginning of your day, every single day, God, get my heart happy in you. and then laying down your self-sufficiency, your self-reliance, your self-centeredness before Him by depending on Him, by trusting in Him, and allowing God to strengthen you with His Spirit, His grace, and His gospel to bring about this year the obedience that comes from faith. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church we invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.